Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Bibles open to the second chapter in Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Chapter 1 brought us the teaching that the church at Thessalonica had done well under the persecution that they faced. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ had been sounded forth throughout the region because of these brothers and sisters in Christ. The Christians at Thessalonica had cast off the idols that they worshipped to serve the living and true God. This church was looking up, waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pick up our text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we start with verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There were two men working for a gas company out checking meters in a suburban neighborhood. One of the men was a training supervisor who had been with the company a long time, and he was training the younger man in the fine art of checking gas meters. The two men parked their truck at the end of the alley and worked their way to the other end. At the last house, a woman, looking out her kitchen window, watched the two men as they checked her gas meter. And when they were done, the older man, he just simply challenged the younger man to a foot race down the alley and back to the truck. So sure enough, they took off running, and as they came running up to the truck, they realized that the lady from the last house was huffing and puffing right behind them. So they stopped immediately and asked her what was wrong, and gasping for breath, she was finally able to get the words out, well, when I saw two men from the gas company check my meter and then turn and run away as fast as you two were, I figured I'd better run too. Well, there's a few times in life when it is the right thing to do to follow another person. 
Paul had commended this young church because it had started out that when they were new in their faith, they followed Paul as Paul himself followed the Lord. But things progressed. It didn't stop there. As these believers learned to follow Christ on their own, In chapter 2 of this letter, Paul now moves on to address some of the issues that had come up. In our passage, it becomes clear that Paul was on the defensive. Something happened at Thessalonica that got Paul's attention. And putting the pieces together from what we do know, we know that the church was under attack from the lost Gentiles and from the Jews. We know that Timothy had just returned from Thessalonica And if you read between the lines, you walk away with the impression that the enemies of the church were spreading lies about Paul and his ministry. And I believe that what we have in this text before us is Paul's defense against those who hated everything that he stood for. It would seem that the forces of darkness, the enemies of the Christian faith, were attempting to destroy the faith of those in Christ at Thessalonica. And one easy way to do this was to attack the integrity and character of those who had first brought the gospel message to them. Remember, the Roman roads were filled with men traveling from town to town, men who belonged to cults, men who belonged to groups with strange systems of belief. These men would come into town, they'd give a few speeches, demand some payment, and then head on out before anyone figured out that they were just in it for the money. This was a common problem in that day, and this would have been an easy accusation to make against Paul and Silas. Think of what we looked at in Acts. They had to sneak out of town because of the uprising caused by the Jews. Sneaking out of town opened yourself up to this type of accusation. In our passage before us, Paul made sure to remind those in Christ at Thessalonica that this did not describe him. This did not describe Silas. All they needed to do was to let the record speak for itself. All that Paul had to do was ask them to think back to how they saw Paul live and then ask if the facts at hand supported these trumped-up charges. Paul lived his life with integrity. Paul earned his living making tents and wasn't even interested in the praise of men let alone the money of men. This put Paul in a difficult position. This put Paul in a little bit of a pickle. I believe Paul was one of the last people who ever wanted to talk about himself. I believe Paul was one of the last people who wanted to talk about the things that he'd done. But yet Paul understood that if those who opposed Christ could undermine the gospel message by discounting and making trumped-up charges against Paul and Silas, then it was time for him to step forward and defend his actions, not for his own pride, but to protect the work of Christ. And so what I'm telling you is that Paul was trying to thread the needle, if you will. Paul was trying to defend his ministry and explain to the church his own sacrifice on their behalf without coming across as strutting his own stuff, without coming across as only focused on himself. Paul begins by telling the church in the first half of verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren. Paul was asking them to check their hearts because they knew from their own experience what type of man the Apostle Paul was. Think back to verse 9 of chapter 1. Paul was hearing reports from people. Paul had said in verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. The Christians at Thessalonica were testifying to others of the ministry of Paul and Silas. 
And out of this, Paul could rightly say to the church that their coming to them was not in vain. It was not a failure. Paul further explains in verse 2, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. The reference to what took place at Philippi is found in Acts 16. It was there that we saw Paul and Silas were flogged. Luke records that their clothes were torn off. They were beaten with rods. Many stripes were laid upon them. They were thrown into the inner prison and their feet were put into the stocks. A Roman flogging was not something that you just shook off in a day or two. You were fortunate if you lived through it. Paul mentions they were spitefully treated. They had been arrested on a false charge, stripped of their clothes, publicly beaten without a trial, and thrown into the inner prison like they were dangerous criminals. What had Paul and Silas done at Philippi to deserve this beating? The answer is that Paul had cast out a demon out of a slave girl as Paul and his group served Christ at Philippi. This slave girl was a money-making machine because of her demonic powers. It gave her the appearance of being able to tell the future. It cost her owners money. It cost the slave owners the ability to just rake in the money. It was not that the people at Philippi were concerned about this young girl, and it was not that Paul had committed a great crime or sin. The bottom line, as it so often is, was money. Listen to Acts 16, verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Paul was a Roman citizen, and how he had been treated went against the Roman laws. Once Paul and Silas were released, they came to Thessalonica. And if you go through this type of beating in one city for ministering in the name of Christ, knowing that the potential exists to go through this again in the very next city, this requires courage. This requires faith. This requires a deep understanding and conviction in your heart that you truly believe the gospel and that you truly believe it is worth going through anything that this world can throw at you if you can share the message of Christ. It's not too hard to imagine that the men and women at Thessalonica might have seen some of these wounds still on Silas and Paul. But yet we read in verse 2, even though they had just taken a beating, even though they must have still been in physical pain, the text tells us we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Boldness in Christ under the power of the Spirit of God at work through them. Think of some of the wording used here. In verse 1, Paul told the church, for you yourselves know. Here, in the middle of verse 2, he reminds them again by saying, as you know. This is the second time we see in this text that Paul reminds the church, if they just thought back to the facts, if they thought back to the truth, then they knew what Paul was telling them was true. Again, looking at the timeline from Acts, Paul and Silas must have showed up with wounds which were far from healed. The pain they would have been in would have been obvious for people to see. It would have naturally brought out the story of the suffering that they had faced at Philippi. But think about the impact. Think of the effect this would have had on those who heard the gospel at Thessalonica. They would have taken one look at Paul and Silas, and they would have understood firsthand right from the beginning, right from day one, that preaching the gospel of Christ and believing in the gospel of Christ will bring about persecution by the lost. 
Paul and Silas were risking their lives to put forth the message of Christ. These are not the actions of someone just trying to pass through town and make a few dollars. These are the actions of men who are empowered by God and the actions of men who truly believed the message. Empowered by God, Paul and Silas boldly preached the gospel of Christ. Notice the wording, in much conflict. The wording meant a race, a struggle, or a battle. This was the opposition that they continued to face for the sake of the gospel of Christ. But this was actually the fulfillment of what Christ said would happen in Paul's life. The Lord himself said of Paul in Acts 9, He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And listen to this part. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffer he did. Paul was hated by the Jewish religious leaders of his day, but countless men and women came to know Christ because of his suffering. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Paul is now telling the church how it was that Paul and Silas were able to preach among them after taking such a beating at Philippi. Verse 3 contains the three accusations that were being made about Paul and Silas. Paul completely rejected the idea that their preaching came from error. The word for error carries with it a hint of the meaning of deception. Grounded in his understanding of the Old Testament, Paul was confident that he had not been led astray. Paul and Silas knew deep within their souls that what they were proclaiming was the absolute truth. And the meaning here is that the early missionaries of the gospel of Christ knew that they were not victims of some great fraud or deception or lie. The facts concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Christ are 100% true. Second, Paul also completely rejected the idea that their preaching came from uncleanness. The idea behind this statement deals with the perverse religious cults in that day, which had become popular because they promoted immorality. The message to go ahead and do whatever your body craves is always a popular message. And Paul was emphatically stating, in contrast to the religious cults of that day, there were no depraved motives. Third, Paul followed this up by telling them, nor was it in deceit. Paul and Silas were not trying to trick anyone. Their message was pure and their motives were pure. Verse 4 puts forward their true purpose, and it was a strong statement by the apostle. They were there as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. The word for approved is a word that was used to refer to the process of purifying metal. It was the testing of the metals to prove that they were real, that they were genuine. And the implication is that Paul and Silas had both the approval and the commission of God to go out and share the gospel throughout the New Testament world. These were men that had been approved by God to the great task before them. Notice again the wording in verse 4. Not only had they been approved by God, but they had been entrusted with the message of the gospel by God. This was the work of God, not of men. Paul had been approved by God during his three years of seclusion in Arabia. He continued to be tested and approved during the seven or eight years he spent in Tarsus after returning from Arabia. 
and think of how difficult this must have been for Paul by this point in his life. It had been roughly 20 years since Paul had first left home to study under Gamaliel in Jerusalem to become a rabbi. Paul had again proved himself during his first missionary journey. Paul had stood the test of being stoned at Lystra. He stood up to the test during the dispute at the Council of Jerusalem. Time and time again, Paul had proved himself faithful, no matter what was thrown at him. And so Paul could state with confidence that he had God's approval on his ministry. To be entrusted with the gospel message of Christ is to be entrusted with the highest responsibility that there is. Such a great tragedy that so many in the church today are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There could be no greater honor, no higher honor than to share the message of eternal life. Think of this beautiful phrase here in the middle of verse 4. Even so we speak. This is the biblical model for planting churches. Paul and Silas came to town preaching Jesus Christ, and this is precisely what verse 4 reveals. Entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. This points us to the understanding that as they shared the gospel message, as they preached the word of God, they were well aware of the fact that they were men who had been tested and commissioned by God. They knew their calling, and they were found faithful to the Lord. Paul adds to it, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. This was their motive. This was their passion, not to please men, but to please God. Paul and Silas were not about to change their message just to tickle the ears of men. Think of what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Think of those words from Paul. If I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul and Silas were constantly aware that it is God alone who tests the hearts of men. In other words, Paul and Silas understood as ambassadors for Christ, God was continually testing their hearts, which left little ground for deception. Paul and Silas were content to allow God to test them and examine their motives. Take a look at verses 5, 6, and 7. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Notice the phrase in verse 5, at any time. Paul was stating, we never. We never use flattering words. The idea behind this is that Paul was testifying that they never use flattering words just to make a good impression on people. They never use flattering words to cover up greed on their part. Listen, this was a big problem back then. Most men who came to town were con artists, simply trying to make money off of people. Obviously, this is still a problem today. Think of the health and wealth gospel. Think of some of the TV evangelists promising great things, all the while they just bring in millions and millions of dollars from the books and the TV programs. Flattery for selfish gain. It's always a problem 
among the religions, but it should never be a part of the true church of Jesus Christ. But notice again for the third time, Paul reminded the church this was something that they already knew, but this time he adds to it and says, God is witness. Paul built on this and stated that they were not in the ministry to gain the approval and honor of men. Our motive should never be the praise of men. Our motive should be our love for Christ. Over in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul taught, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Glory belongs to the Lord, not to those fortunate enough to serve him. Paul, as an apostle, had the right to be supported for their work for the Lord. But this apostolic missionary team surrendered that right to help advance the gospel of Christ. Instead of putting demands on them, they were gentle with these new converts to Christ. The word that Paul used for gentle was a word that was often used to describe someone who had patiently dealt with a young person who had not yet reached maturity. These new converts had not grown up yet in the faith, so the proper course of action was to be patient with them. Think of the picture Paul gives to us in the second half of verse 7. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. The picture given is of a mother who is not selfish, a mother who protects her own children. Actually, the wording means to warm. The picture is of a mother keeping her young children warm. It is caring for children with extreme tenderness. But then Paul explains what he meant. Take a look at verses 8 and 9. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Again, notice the love they had for this church. They longed for their brothers and sisters in Christ with deep affection. Not only had Paul and Silas shared with them the gospel of Christ, but also their own lives. Paul and Silas made the choice. They made the conscious decision to share their entire lives with them. Literally, the wording here is that they shared their souls with them. The best gift they could have given them was the gospel of Christ. It was genuine love which motivated them to share the message of redemption. But their love boiled over and moved them to share their entire lives with these new believers. This was the unreserved abandonment by Paul and Silas. They didn't hold anything back. They gave their entire lives. Again, notice the motivation on their part. Paul tells us at the end of verse 8, because you had become dear to us. Love was the motivation, not greed, not deception, love. This persistent and steady love only wanted what was best for those in Christ at Thessalonica. In verse 9, instead of telling them, as you know, like he did before, he starts by telling them, for you remember, brethren. Notice the wording, our labor and toil, laboring night and day. This is not a figure of speech. Paul was up at night making tents and teaching the word of God. Over in 2 Thessalonians 3.8, Paul went on to write, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. The wording indicates they labored to the point of exhaustion, growing tired and weary from the work. And the point of this is Paul was trying to communicate to them that it was not always pleasant for Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas went through great, great efforts to sacrifice on their behalf. And if those at Thessalonica just stopped, 
and check their own memories of the facts at hand, they could actually remember that Paul and Silas continually sacrificed for them. They didn't want to become a burden, but instead they wanted to focus on the gospel of Christ. Part of this work ethic was installed in Paul and how he was raised. Every Jewish boy was taught some sort of manual trade, and for Paul it was making tents. In fact, it was a saying of the rabbis back then that if you didn't teach your son a trade, it was the same as teaching your son to be a thief. Because the belief was that by learning a trade, you could earn a living no matter the changing circumstances of life. The trade that Paul learned as a boy proved to be important throughout his years as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Paul did not depend on a mission board. Paul was able to support himself whenever he needed to. Making tents was not exactly a trade that made a lot of money. You would not get rich off of this. It took long hours. It took a lot of hard work to make substantial money, which is part of the reason in Paul's letters we do see the teaching that he did receive support from different churches. In fact, we know when he was at Thessalonica, he did receive support from the church at Philippi. Over in Philippians 4.16, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. But it wasn't enough. And the point of Paul in this text, the intent of this passage, is that Paul was telling them that by working night and day, Paul demonstrated time and again that his motive was not greed. His motive was love. This was a brand new group of believers, and the need of the hour was the teaching of the gospel and the teaching of the word of God. Demanding financial support at that point in time, it would have been a burden to them. Notice again the last statement in verse 9. We preach to you the gospel of God. His central purpose was to give them the gospel of Christ. And in Paul's mind, nothing should detract from this. And by working, it reduced the possibility of being charged with preaching for selfish gain. Take a look at our last three verses. You are witnesses. Then God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you. Who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So far in this passage, Paul has said, You yourselves know, as you know, and for you remember. In verse 10, Paul starts out by telling them, You are witnesses. And then in verse 11, he goes back to, As you know. But in verse 10, not only does he appeal to their memories, but he also appeals to God. God knew how Paul and Silas ministered to them. Paul had a clear conscience in how he served those at Thessalonica, and he actually felt confident to call God as his witness. Notice how Paul described their actions, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. This is the powerful example and testimony of how they lived before God and men. These were men of integrity who fixed their eyes on the message of the living Christ. Not only did Paul and Silas set the example, but they exhorted, they comforted, and they charged every one of them to walk worthy of the Lord. The image Paul gives us in verse 11 of caring for the believers as a father does his own children demonstrates the love. It demonstrates the compassion and the care that Paul and Silas demonstrated to them as they instructed them in the faith. In verse 7, the image was of a mother pouring out her love on her children. Here are the pictures of a father teaching his children. 
And the goal of the instruction was that those in Christ at Thessalonica would walk worthy of God, who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. This was the goal, and this should be the goal for all of us as well. Paul understood that accepting the gospel message meant that each believer now has the obligation to the Lord to live their lives in a way which is consistent with their profession of faith. Paul closes this verse by saying, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Glory is the unhindered manifestation of God's presence in which believers will share. Romans 5, 2, it teaches that by faith we have access into his grace and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We as brothers and sisters in Christ rejoice right now in the hope of the glory of God. And one day we will share in the glory of God's presence. Now, I do not believe the popular teaching of our day that the kingdom of Christ is simply Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in our hearts. The kingdom in the word of God is always a literal kingdom. The coming kingdom of Christ where he will rule and reign for 1,000 years on the old earth and then on into eternity because Christ's kingdom will be eternal. Those redeemed in Christ, we are citizens of that coming kingdom. Colossians 1.13, it teaches us that Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The message from Paul is that our lives should match who we are in Christ and our lives should reflect our future with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, live in light of your citizenship in the coming kingdom of God. There's a book out by the name of Real Hope in Chicago. It's about a high school coach named Wayne Gordon. Wayne started a Bible study after school with some of the inner city kids in the Lawndale area. At the time, it was the second poorest black community in the entire country. It was overrun at the time with drug dealers, gangs, and prostitutes. And God gave Wayne such a heart for the black community that he told the kids he was going to move to Lawndale. But the kids said to him, Coach, we love you, but we think you are nuts. It's not safe for white folks to live in Lawndale. You're not going to last a month. Wayne moved there anyway, and it wasn't easy. He was attacked by one of the street gangs. He had his house broken into again and again, but he stuck it out. And soon one of the mothers of the kids began to come to the Bible study. It took time, but it began to grow. And one day with a group of 15 people, those kids asked him to start a church and asked him to be their pastor. Wayne believed that God was leading him in that direction. They had a time of prayer together about it, and they have never looked back. Wayne has a clear calling from God and is not looking for the approval of men. His love for the community was so strong that as he shared the gospel, people came to know Christ. He even witnessed to the guy that kept breaking into his home, and he actually had the opportunity to lead the man to Jesus Christ. Today, After many, many years of ministry, they have hundreds of people who come each week to worship the Lord. They have an outreach to help the poor and the drug addicts. But what excites me so much is that over almost 40 years of ministry, through the love and the hard work, through the constant sharing of the gospel, the gospel of Christ didn't just transform a few people. It ended up transforming many, many lives in this community. And the absolute beauty of it all is that it all started with a man who loved the people of Lawndale so much that he was delighted to share with them not only the gospel of Christ, but he shared with them his entire life. 
He lived out the truth of verse 8, where Paul had said, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Later on in his ministry, Paul would go on to write in 2 Corinthians 11, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, listen to this part, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Through it all, what did Paul say his deep concern was for? The churches. Paul laid down his life so that others may hear of the glorious gospel of Christ and the grace of God. Can I ask you, who or what are you pouring your life into? What are you willing to sacrifice in order that others may hear of the blessed gospel of Christ? Are you willing to lay down your life in order that others may live? Paul testified in verse 11, we exhorted you, we charged you, literally meaning we insisted, we implored you, we virtually begged you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Are you willing to serve others? Are you willing to labor to the point of exhaustion so that Christ, his gospel, and his word is proclaimed? In chapter three, we will see Paul told the church, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Let this be our prayer as we continue to serve our Lord. Before we sign off, I want to take a moment to thank you for choosing to study the Bible with us. It's truly an honor to be able to share the Word of God with you. But drop us a note. Let us know where you're listening from. And if we can help you with your faith in Jesus Christ, you can always reach out to us at returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. 
Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word 